106 days of trumpets. Did you know, by the way, in the ancient world, the loudest sound that anyone could make was with a trumpet? I mean, there were no bombs and nothing like that. It was a trumpet. That was the loudest sound you could make. They were, in fact, often used for shock and awe or major important announcements. I'm, I'm just going to put this out there for you. Me personally, trumpets are annoying. They're loud, they're shrill, they're disturbing, they hurt your ears. There are some exceptions, like, you know, the band Chicago. I can handle those, those trumpets. Louis Armstrong, he's good with the trumpet. And there's a few others, but mostly trumpets are stupid. <laughs> you know, it really bugs me. What about this? What about when somebody, for whatever reason, arranges for a trumpet fanfare when they enter a room? Narcissist much? You know? You know the best part, though, about trumpets? The best part? When they stop. <laughs> That's exactly right. Here's the good thing, though. As annoying as they may be, if you can hear trumpet, at least you're still alive. I mean, if you are no longer among the living, you won't hear them no matter how loud they are, no matter how close to your ear they may be. And as annoying as they are, if you hear them and you understand what they're for, hope is still alive. Let's look at our passage this morning, Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. It says 15, but it's 14. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. No one went out, no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hands with its mighty king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall... Next slide. There we go. March around the city seven times. The priests shall blow the trumpets. When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the great trumpet, all the people shall shout with a shout and the walls of the city will fall down flat. The people shall go up and everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram horns, horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass before the Ark of the Lord. Just as Joshua commanded the people, the seven priests with the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, then you'll shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests with the seven trumpets and ram's horns blew before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men walking behind them. The rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city and returned to the camp, so they did the same basic thing for six days. That's where we're going to stop reading today. Next week's the fun part where we talk about the walls falling down, but there's some important stuff 
in this passage that I need you to understand. Let's look at the history of our passage so we can understand the context. I want you to see, obviously, right, this is a very strange strategy. You're going to attack the strongest city in Canaan with these massive walls, and you're going to do it with horns and carrying a box with priests. I want you to see that what the people of Israel have here is they have obedience without all the answers. Put yourself in the place of both groups here, both groups of people. Either you're on the side of the Israelites or you're inside the city. No matter who you are, you see this happening and you realize this is a very strange military strategy. First for Israel, right? Like they have been amping up for this battle for a long time. They know it's not going to be easy because of all the walls and everything, but they're fired up and they're ready to go. Let's go. Let's go take the land. And Jericho was a city that was infamous for being a well-protected fortress, not just because of the massive walls, but it had a huge army as well, a mighty fighting force. And what's God's plan to destroy the walls and the mighty fighting force? He instructs the army of Israel to hold a praise march around the city once a day for six days and then take the rest of the day off. You understand, Jericho wasn't that big. One trip around the city would have taken maybe 30, 45 minutes, an hour max. That's it. So they get up early in the morning. Directly behind their marching ranks are these seven priests dressed in those ridiculous robes, blowing seven trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant, which, by the way, represents what? The presence of God following behind them. The soldiers marching in front of the priests and the horns and the ark, they're not supposed to speak. That's their job for six days. Can you imagine how bizarre these instructions must have seemed to the soldiers? Okay, God, we'll do it, but we really don't understand what you're doing here. By the way, do you ever feel that way as a follower of Jesus? You're willing to do whatever your God tells you to do, But it sure can be confusing. Understand their obedience to this strange military strategy is an act of faith, just like the crossing of the Jordan River. Okay, so that's the first thing. I want you to see another part of this history. I want you to see what's happening in Jericho. They're starting to learn what it means to live with trumpets. What about the people inside Jericho? They're already, like before the first day of trumpets, they're full of anxiety, right? The scripture says they were afraid of Israel. And then day one comes of these trumpets and the marching. Here's the trumpets. The day we have feared is here. And then 30 minutes later, (laughs) 30 minutes later, they watch Israel's army just even return to their tents for the day. (laughs) Wait, what is this? We don't see any siege equipment, no ladders, no ropes. Are they just scouting our weakness today? Is that all they're doing? Or maybe they decided not to attack us after all. They see the walls. They're too big. They're too strong. Maybe we're off the hook. But then Israel comes back a second day with the same quiet army leading the seven priests with the really loud, annoying, obnoxious trumpets and that ark, that presence of God. They go around the city again. 30 minutes. Then they go back to their tents. This bizarre scene repeats for six days. I wonder if around day three, right, their confidence in the walls maybe started to grow a little more. 
Maybe they believed that they didn't need to fear Israel again. Is this their plan, really? A silent army leading priests playing trumpets while carrying that stupid little box wherever they go? Maybe they started in with some trash talk from the top of the walls, you know? What was that? You played a wrong note. You know, our world gets that way about God sometimes, doesn't it? As we preach the gospel that seems silly to many of them, as we warn about his judgment but also proclaim his mercy, sometimes they don't see the point. Okay, that's the history of our passage. Let's look at the theology. What about God? What is he doing and why and how does he do it? I'm going to explain to you today how throughout the scripture we understand how God uses trumpets. I mean, look, obviously our God could have brought down the walls of Jericho on the very first day, right? But he doesn't do that. Why? Why did God make Israel go through six days of trumpet-filled, ark-carrying trips around the Jericho walls? Why did he do that? Did you know, and this is beautiful, this whole story of Jericho, just like, by the way, we remember how we learned how the commander that appeared to Joshua the chapter before, we learned from the book of Revelation, it was who? Jesus. The same way this story is directly linked to the book of Revelation, 100%. And we have the advantage, right? Because we just went through a year studying it. Revelation chapter 8 through chapter 11, do you remember this? Where we went through it for about, took us about four weeks, John describes six trumpets of judgment that we learn are a metaphor of warning of God's judgment and the futility of anything man builds in this world. Jericho is a foreshadow of those first six trumpets in Revelation. First of all, I want you to see how God uses trumpets. First thing he does, he uses trumpets to warn. Look at Genesis chapter 15, verses 13, 14, and 16. Here, right here. The Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be slaves there. That is a prophecy of Egypt. They will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. They shall return here in the fourth generation, for the sin of the Canaanites is not yet full. Here's what God is saying to Abraham. Egypt is going to enslave your relatives for 400 years. But one day your relatives will come out of Egypt and they will return to the land of Canaan. But they're going to have to wait because the sin of the Canaanites is, as God says, not yet full. You know why it was not yet full? Because God's grace is the epitome of what we call the long game. See, later on, as we go through this series on Joshua, and we see how uh, Israel deals with a lot of these other pagan cities, we're going to see how deep the evil and corruption and the wickedness among the people living in Canaan ran. And trust me, it is bad. It's as bad as anything you could imagine in this world today. Here's the thing, though. The people in Canaan, they actually knew who God was. Did you know that? I mean, before the Egyptian captivity, Abraham and all his people, they lived among the people of Canaan, right next door to them, side by side. They lived right with them, so they knew who the God of Israel was. 
And did you know this? The scripture shows us that even during Israel's 400 years in Egypt, God was still sending messengers and prophets to Canaan, warning them about coming judgment if they didn't repent from their wickedness. For hundreds of years in the land of Canaan, God is giving those people, non-Jewish people, opportunity to repent. And he invites them to join God's covenant he has made with Israel. By the way, just like Rahab did earlier in the story of Joshua. Remember that? And now here we come. It's the day. And God, whose grace is a long game, is giving Jericho six more days of trumpets as a final warning. You see how actually those trumpets, although they might have been annoying to them, actually those trumpets are a display of God's mercy. They deserve to be destroyed on the very first day, but God says, no, I'm going to give them six more days. I'm going to make my power known through the army of Israel, through the trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant. For six days, they have the chance, just like Rahab and her family, to trust me and to join my people. But sadly, they stay inside the walls of Jericho, and they ignore the trumpets. They don't abandon their love for Jericho. They don't abandon their love for their way of life. They don't abandon their trust in these huge, massive walls that have been built by human hands. And as we learned, the first six trumpets that we studied in our book of Revelation, chapter 8 through 11, those were also designed, if you remember, to provide a final warning to all the inhabitants of earth. See, those trumpets, what we learned, those trumpets in Revelation, those first six trumpets in Revelation, they serve as metaphors for the inevitable, hopeless cycle of human failure and calamity that plagues human history. One government after another. Those trumpets reveal the cycle of how anything that man builds ultimately will fail and fall, just like the walls of Jericho. They reveal, those six trumpets, how foolish it is to place our hope in those earthly things. And these trumpets in Revelation throughout the church age, and we're living in them now, these trumpets throughout the church age are also one final merciful call to the people of earth to abandon earthly hope and join God's people, which is who now? Us, the church. Because just like at Jericho, just like at Jericho, what we see in Revelation, there's a seventh trumpet coming. And time is running out. And sadly, just like inside Jericho, most people in this world won't abandon their futile hope in the things they love about this life. Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, look at this verse. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. This is within the story of the six trumpets, nor give up worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, sorceries, sexual immorality, or thefts. The response to the people in the, for the, to the six trumpets in Revelation is the same response that the people of Jericho had to their six trumpets. See, these metaphorical six trumpets that we hear today, they're getting louder as does the world's passionate resentment of them. 
But then God also doesn't use just trumpets to warn. He uses trumpets to encourage. Watch this. For us, just like at Jericho, the first six trumpets in Revelation remind God's people that the battle that we're fighting, who does it belong to? It belongs to God. Both trumpets also precede a great victory for God's people over evil. For Israel, it would be a victory over Jericho. For us, it's the day when Jesus comes with the seventh trumpet and evil in this world falls. And just as he promised to show up for Israel on the seventh day, he has promised to return for us with that trumpet. And as long as the trumpets are sounding, those first six, as long as the trumpets are sounding their warning, we are inspired by them because they remind us how futile the world is, we are reminded to invite the world to join us as we follow the Lamb wherever He goes. We proclaim the gospel of mercy that is the only hope that will not fail them on the day our Jesus returns with that seventh trumpet. So we are living through those first six trumpets in Revelation, just like Jericho was living through six days of trumpets. So that's the history and that's the theology of our passage. Let's look at the personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this? Question, can you hear the trumpets? This is my sermon preview this week. Take a look at this. Loud trumpets are annoying. They are. But as long as you still hear them, there's time to follow Jesus. All right, listen. There are two important, listen, there are two important personal applications for you to consider today in this passage. The first one is our mission, and the second one is God's mercy. Do you remember how God asked Joshua and Israel to wait through six days of trumpets based upon the promise of a seventh day? The same is true for us as followers of Jesus. We are told to wait out Revelation's first six trumpets based on the promise of a day there will be a seventh, and all evil will be judged. Just like With the people of Jericho, these trumpets are a beautiful metaphor for how Jesus is using the gospel today, right now. Just like Israel around Jericho, we have also been given a mission with instructions that frankly are perplexing and confusing at times. Just as while Israel was commanded to warn Jericho from the outside with their trumpets, we are commanded to go into the nations. So how are we expected to do this? When there's so much evil around us, it can be heartless, discouraging, and frustrating. But just like Israel at Jericho, our battle during these six trumpets will be fought with a very unconventional strategy with very unconventional weapons. Our weapon is the gospel and the word of God. And you know what our strategy is? Prayer, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That's what it said. Yeah, go ahead and cycle, go ahead and cycle through them. This gospel will be proclaimed throughout the nations. 
and then the end will come. See, we have been commanded to love when the world, when our human instinct says we should hate. That's a tough one, isn't it? We are also called to forgive when the world and our human instinct says to bring down the hammer of justice. <laughs> Through the gospel and our weapons of love, forgiveness, and grace, you know what begins to happen? Just like at Jericho, the walls of unbelief start come tumbling down in many people's lives. Throughout this age, as those six trumpets proclaim that hope in this world is futile, we proclaim to them that there is an alternative to hope in this world. Look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? I imagine that's one of the questions that the nation of Israel was asking during those six days. How much longer do we got to do this? Listen, it's easy for us to question. Listen, and it's okay sometimes for us, humanly speaking, to even be frustrated with how or why God allows some of the wickedness and evil that is in this world, isn't it? It's, it's kind of perplexing. Man, it's frustrating to watch evil thrive. Especially when that evil that is thriving begins to impact your own life directly. Sometimes, I think sometimes it can feel like we as followers of Jesus have no chance of success against these fortresses of evil. And it can be frustrating. Do you ever wonder why God is waiting so long to judge the evil in this world? Do you ever wonder that? Why does he tolerate all this madness? Do you ever wish God would just get on with that seventh trumpet already? Sound that bad boy, Jesus. Let's go. But what if there weren't six trumpets warning you, exposing the truth that this world is not worthy of your hope? What if he had chosen to blast that seventh trumpet before you were even born, before you even had a chance to join the people of God and hear the gospel? What if right after his resurrection, Jesus went straight for that seventh trumpet and you never had a chance to repent? What if Jesus had not delayed that seventh trumpet long enough for you to hear the invitation to join his people and follow him wherever he goes? Do you see how the six trumpets have been an incredible display of mercy for you when you were inside the walls of Jericho? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, look at this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Isn't that a great verse? See, it's God's kindness and patience toward you that have provided this time and space and history this church age for your repentance and your redemption. God saved you during the six trumpets. Do you realize that? Thankfully, our Jesus is far more merciful and patient than we are. Thankfully, he has given humanity one final chance. Look, we know that 
this world that we're in is just full of Jerichos. Fortresses of unbelief and pride and evil and human wisdom, quotations, that people put all their hope and trust in. Sometimes mankind is able to build beautiful, impressive, strong, shiny walls. And for a moment, some of us might even be distracted by them from time to time, right? Like every four years. (laughs) Thankfully, thankfully, you know what we have? What God has provided for us? Trumpets of warning that all those fortresses are going to collapse. Trumpets that expose how foolish it is to trust in the Jerichos of this world. Followers of Jesus can hear the warnings because we've given ears to hear. They can hear the warnings of those trumpets that warn of the fate of every Jericho man has ever built. And these first six trumpets, these trumpets that we're living through, they remind us that one day our Jesus will return with his seventh trumpet and the walls of evil in this world will come tumbling down. Can you hear the trumpets? Are you able to see how these trumpets that we're living through today, these metaphorical trumpets that we learn about in Revelation, they reveal the hopeless mess that this world has made of itself? No matter how hard they try to fix it and reverse it and change it, it still comes up mess. And as these trumpets expose the world's failure and inability to keep its promises, right? That's all the world can really do is fail to keep its promises. As the trumpets reveal this, they're doing something else. These trumpets are driving you toward the gospel. That's God's grace. That's what the first six trumpets are telling you. Listen to them. You know what they're playing? They're playing a song called mercy. Let these trumpets be a daily reminder to you that there is no hope inside the walls of Jericho. Join the people of God who are marching outside the city. And what are they doing as they march outside the city? They're simply following the lamb wherever he goes. 